X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Tuesday, May 19th, 2020. It is Oregon's primary election day. We have been waiting. We have been preparing, some for generations. It is our turn. Today, back in the day, on May 19th, 1992, the 27th Amendment Certificate of Ratification, signed by the Archivist of the United States the day prior, was printed and published in the Federal Register. What is the 27th Amendment to the United States Constitution, you might ask? Well, it prohibits any law that increases or decreases the salary of members of Congress from taking effect until the start of the next set of terms of office for representatives. It means if members of Congress vote themselves a pay raise, it isn't until after the election, maybe when there's new members of Congress, that they get the pay raise. It is the most recent amendment to be adopted, but it is not the most recent to be proposed. History.com counts ratification as to have occurred on May 7th, by the way, when Michigan became the 38th state to ratify. But in 1996, it came to light that the Kentucky General Assembly had ratified the amendment during that state's initial month of statehood back in 1792, making Alabama, which acted on Missouri the same day, but after it, May 5th, 1992, the state to finalize the amendment's addition to the Constitution, new purpose to Cinco de Mayo. That's not even the interesting part of the story. What is now the 27th Amendment was originally submitted to the very first Congress to the states for ratification, September 25, 1789, along with 11 other proposed amendments. Ten of those got famous. They were ratified in 1791 to become the Bill of Rights. The 27th Amendment got forgotten about, didn't get ratified by enough states. And it wasn't much thought about until 1982, when a guy named Greg Watson, a 19-year-old sophomore at the University of Texas, wrote a paper for a government class in which he claimed the amendment could still be ratified. He got a C on the paper. That motivated Watson to launch a nationwide campaign to complete its ratification. The amendment eventually became part of the U.S. Constitution, effective May 5th, 1992, or some would say May 7th, 1992, some others would say May 19th, 1992, completing a record-setting ratification period of 202 years, 7 months, and 10 days, or a slightly different number of days. And in 2017, the grade on Watson's paper was changed to an A+. For folks who want to get the Equal Rights Amendment done and the Electoral College changed, that story might give some hope. And they might have even more impact than delaying congressional pay raises or getting a better grade on a 35-year-old term paper. Today on The Local, your quick six headlines, star voting and the independent party of Oregon election, voting in a new way, and an interview with Representative Suzanne Bonamici, candidate and incumbent for U.S. House District 1. No one should have to risk their lives to exercise their right to vote. We have it figured out here in Oregon. And first up, it is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. For our first story, yesterday a Baker County judge invalidated Governor Kate Brown's COVID-19 emergency orders. Judge Matthew Shirtcliffe had issued his opinion in response to a lawsuit filed earlier this month by 10 churches around Oregon. Shirtcliffe ruled on Monday that Brown's restrictions on religious gatherings as well as other stay-home-save-lives coronavirus orders are null and void because they exceed a 28-day limit. The lawsuit argued the state's social distancing directives were unconstitutional. Shirtcliffe found that churches can take necessary social distancing precautions, just as grocery stores or other essential businesses have done. The attorneys for the churches successfully argued that ORS 433.441, you better write it down, limits declared public health emergencies to 14 days or up to 28 days maximum. They argued because COVID-19 is a public health crisis, that limitation applied. The governor's attorney countered that Brown declared the emergency under a different state law, ORS 401.165, 
Better write that one down, which isn't limited to any particular time period and continues indefinitely. The judge found the governor's other executive orders placing limits on social gatherings, education, and businesses were also null and void because they exceeded the 28-day limit. Attorney Mark Abrams, we mentioned him just yesterday, by the way, representing the governor, urged the judge to put a hold on the ruling until the Oregon Supreme Court could review it. Shirtcliffe denied the hold request and said, governor's order doesn't apply anymore. Here's what Salem-based attorney Ray Hackey had to say. He's the guy who originally filed the motion. Here's his quote. If we're going to risk our lives to go to church, if we survive, great. If we die, then we're going to heaven. If we want to take that risk, then it's on us. End quote. After the ruling, Hackey said, if people want to get the haircut, they can. They can leave their home for any reason, whether it's deemed essential in the eye of the state or not. End quote. Started with church, ended with haircuts. Wisconsin is the only other state in the nation where a court has overruled a governor's stay-at-home orders. Similar to the Oregon case, Wisconsin plaintiffs based their argument primarily on state statutes rather than focusing merely on the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, meaning it doesn't necessarily get appealed to the federal U.S. Supreme Court. All that's to say, as of yesterday, Oregon opened back up. But wait, there's more. There's also the Oregon Supreme Court, and they can move quickly. Less than three hours after Shirtcliffe's ruling, the governor's office, the attorney general, appealed to the state Supreme Court to keep the emergency orders in effect. Brown's statement, this will ensure we can continue to safeguard the health of all Oregonians, etc., etc., etc. And within hours of that motion, the Supreme Court granted the preliminary injunction, keeping the governor's order in place while the Supreme Court considered the merits. And within hours of that motion, pretty late last night, the Supreme Court granted the preliminary injunction, keeping the governor's order in place while the Supreme Court considers the merits. There isn't a timeline set for that, by the way. Here's a fun fact that I haven't seen any other news outlet report. Five of the seven members of the Oregon Supreme Court were appointed by, guess who? Governor Kate Brown. Elections matter, folks, and one of them is today. Your daily dose of data, Oregon Health Authority reported Monday, 62 new confirmed cases. Remember we had that day that was just nine, and the days before that were in the 60s? Well, we're in the 60s again. But now the state's total number of known positive and presumptive cases, 3,687. Presumptive cases are people who haven't tested positive, but have the symptoms and have had close contact with someone who has confirmed to have been infected. And the OHA also reported one new coronavirus-related death on Monday. OHA says we shouldn't pin all of our hopes on one good day. But didn't it feel kind of nice to have some positive news? An update on Oregon's use of the experimental drug remdesivir that has shown some promise treating the coronavirus. The OHA, that's the Oregon Health Authority, of course, said on Sunday the state has received enough doses to treat all patients who met the medical criteria for using the drug as of Saturday. Early results suggest it could help patients recover from the coronavirus faster. OHA is not taking a position on whether it should be used or not, leaving that decision up to doctors and their patients. Oregon is about to start distributing $8.5 million to help tenants pay rent during the pandemic. The money came through the state through the federal coronavirus relief package. It's been divided among 18 local agencies. Each group will be tasked with distributing the funds to renters. Remember that under the statewide eviction moratorium, renters can delay rent but still have to pay it back once the moratorium ends. This has led to fears that the backlog could come due all at once. The relief is one way to soften the risk of possible mass evictions. Oregon Housing and Community Services decided how big a cut to give each local organization using a needs-based formula, factored in rent burden, poverty, homelessness, unemployment claims. Organizations are expected to start taking applications in the coming days. Some are still figuring out how they'll hand out the money and who will be prioritized. Here's criteria that has been figured out. Anyone who makes up to 50% of the area median income can apply for rent relief. Applicants will still be prioritized based on need. 
Those who've been financially impacted by the pandemic will be highest on the list. Renters will need to show proof of income loss. The money can be used to cover April and May rent payments, essentially to address the backlog of rent payments, as well as future payments. And tenants whose applications are accepted should see the money go straight from the agency to their landlord. How do you apply? Oregonians looking to apply for aid should contact their local community action agency directly. They're going to start taking applications within the next few days. Voter turnout has topped 30 percent in the Oregon primary with 30 hours to go. As of Monday morning, ballots were pouring in over the weekend. Reminder that ballots got to be turned in tonight by 8 p.m. at an official drop box. So far, turnout statewide trailed by about two percentage points behind where it was during the same point in May 2016. Note that Multnomah County, which typically votes a bit later than the rest of the state, is ahead of the 2016 pace. We mentioned that yesterday. My speculation, there are more drop sites in denser Portland. Portland might have more folks in the habit of dropping off instead of mailing. This year, though, Portlanders might be mailing more. There are also fewer Portlanders per capita who watch a certain cable news network or think that the pandemic is a hoax. To match the voter turnout of 54 percent back in 2016, the Hillary Clinton-Bernie Sanders primary, Oregon voters would need to hand in more than 400,000 ballots today, the last day. It's something that usually happens in the November general election. So far, 860,000 of Oregon's 2.85 million voters have turned in their ballots. And again, Turn in your ballot today. An up-to-date list of operational drop boxes can be found at oregonvotes.gov forward slash dropbox. Providence Health Plan's acquisition of Care Oregon will not move forward. The transaction would have combined Care Oregon, that's the state's biggest Medicaid insurer, with Providence Plan Partners, the insurance arm of Providence St. Joseph's Health, the state's largest health care provider. It's not going to happen. The deal was announced last August. Advocates had concerns that Providence's affiliation with the Catholic Church could mean the end of reproductive health services. That includes abortions that Care Oregon clients might require. Activists, along with Senator Ron Wyden and Jeff Merkley, U.S. Representatives Earl Blumenauer and Suzanne Bonamici, restated their concerns recently. On April 29th, the four members of Oregon's congressional delegation jointly wrote to the Care Oregon board. On May 1st, several advocacy groups issued a joint statement urging caution on the merger. And on Friday, Elise Burke, a spokesperson for Care Oregon, and Gary Walker, a spokesman for Providence, confirmed the deal was off. Maybe movie going's past will end up being movie going's future. Newberg's 99W Drive-In, it's announcing a Memorial Day weekend reopening. There will be some new rules in place. Reservations will be required. Attendees can leave the car only to use the restroom or to buy concessions. Provided, of course, they're wearing a mask and stay six feet away. Stay back! And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Here's Emily Gilliland with what's next. Thanks, Jefferson. First up, a focus on the Independent Party of Oregon election. An online ranked choice election? Yep, Oregon is innovating again. Today, May 19th, is the deadline for all unaffiliated voters to vote in the Independent Party of Oregon's election. This election matters in ways you might not be aware of. Here's Jefferson Smith with more. We got Sarah Walt, Director of Campaigns with Star Voting for Eugene and Lane County. She's also the Executive Director of the Equal Vote Coalition. We got Rob Harris, the co-chair of the Independent Party of Oregon. Sarah, good morning. Good morning. Rob, good morning to you. Good morning. All right, let's start with what the heck Star Voting is. I, we have talked about it before on the air, but we should give people the briefest of refreshers. Sarah Walt. Yeah. Star voting is basically just a more expressive voting method. 
It allows people to show their preference order and their level of support for multiple candidates, as opposed to our current choose one only voting system. So in short, with star voting, you can score your candidates from zero up to five stars for full support. Votes are counted in a two round process. So the two highest scoring candidates overall are finalists and your vote goes to the finalist you preferred. So with star voting, you only have to vote once, but if your favorite can't win, your vote automatically goes to the finalist you preferred. With that as the backdrop, now let's bring on you, Rob. So, Rob, you are the co-chair of the Independent Party of Oregon, and y'all are doing the primary, your primary differently this year. You're not a major party in this state, so you've always generally had to do it, often have to do it in a bit different way. But first, give that background about how you have to run a primary right now. Well, right now we're a minor party, so all minor parties have to operate their own primary. If they do a primary, they can do a nominating caucus, but they do their own nomination process according to the rules of their party. Uh, if you're a major party, obviously you're, you're on the ballot that the state provides uh, during the primary season. Historically, the uh, independent party is a minor party back in 2008, 2010, 12, and 14, ran its own primaries. We, unlike most other minor parties, we do reach out to our members and ask them to actually participate in some sort of a vote. And 2012 and 14, we actually also did online primary voting, um, and uh, they turned out pretty good. We did we operated them and administered themselves. In 2016 and 18, we were a major party, so we were on the primary ballot uh, along with the Democratic and Republican parties. And now in 2020, we've been uh, we're again a minor party, largely because of growth of the overall voter registration and motor voter, which reduced our pro rata share to less than five percent. So we're back online doing our online primary again this year. You're doing it this year a little bit different, though. Online, yes, but using the star voting system, yeah. Right, and that is different. Before we did the same plurality first past the post pick one vote. This time we are using star voting. We look at ranked choice voting. We look at star voting. We chose star voting. Uh, they've made a great presentation. They've done a great job on the technology, putting this together, integrating an online system that everyone can participate in. And I think it's been going very smoothly, and we're very happy. And this is the first time that star voting has been used in an actual, real, genuine election. Is that the case, Sarah? It depends how you slice it. So star voting's been around for five years. It's really an upgrade to the ranked choice voting type systems that have been being used for over 150 years. But here in Oregon, um, last year, the Democratic Party of Oregon um, really made some history by adopting it for the statewide presidential delegate selection elections, which are happening um, this month, or at least were originally scheduled to have happened this month. And then following that, we saw Multnomah County Democratic Party adopt their voting for internal elections. They actually elected a couple state central committee delegates using it last week. And we're seeing other groups using it in the private sector as well. But this is by far, um, you know, statewide governmental primary election. It's a big deal for us. And Rob, why did you pick star voting? You said they make a good presentation, but beyond the presentation or what was in the presentation? Yeah, well, a little. I'm not an expert on voting science. There is a real science to this, and I, I'm an amateur on it. Uh, but I've been reading a lot about it over the last several years because I think it really is a path towards real, real, true re- political reform for our state. 
Um, we doctor rank choice voting people, the national people, Rob Ritchie and the people uh, at Fair Vote. Um, star voting is, a, is a, like Sarah says, almost a step beyond another iteration or evolution of that. Uh, and it has some real advantages over, over ranked choice voting. It's very simple. I mean, we all do it. We all use stars when we rate things on Amazon or Google, whatever it happens to be. It's something that very, people are very used to and accommodating to. And, uh, yeah, we just liked it. Uh, plus, they were here in Oregon, which is a great thing. I think that uh, why not support each other in Oregon with innovation? Uh, and it just was a really good fit for us. Right now, there's a new story that Democratic Party of Oregon now has over a million members, but non-affiliated voters in Oregon have also seen an increase. For people who are, you know, voting, they want to make sure they vote by tomorrow at 8 vote, both with their paper ballot and online for these statewide races. I did want to say the website to do that. So if you go to endparty.com slash vote, that's um, that'll link you up with your online ballot. So again, that's i n d p a r t y dot com slash vote. And to be clear, right now you won't get a Democratic Party primary ballot or a Republican Party primary ballot in our state. We got closed primaries. So if you're not affiliated with, if you're not registered with one of those two major parties, you can still vote in the Independent Party of Oregon primary. Is that correct? Yeah. So independent and non-affiliated voters will still get a vote by mail ballot and they should also use that, but it just won't have very many races on it. Depending on where you live, a lot of people see like only judges or local nonpartisan races and judges. And last, um, So if you want to be able to vote on some of these more consequential um, statewide races like Secretary of State and so on, um, as well as the presidential primary, um, presidential poll, then that's where that online independent party primary really comes in. Rob, right now the Secretary of State's race is drawing a lot of attention. Three significant candidates running as Democrats, Jamie McLeod Skinner, Mark Hass, and Shamia Fagan. Also Rich Vile, who's running as, he'd like to run as an independent candidate. He'd like to run with your endorsement. He's, he is running in the primary right now, former Republican candidate for, excuse me, former Republican member of the state legislature, uh, and then with Kim Thatcher running as the Republican. Here is my question. If one of those candidates loses their primary, okay, now Rich Vile gets it, then there are going to be three candidates who try to have some juice in the uh, general election. But if one of the Democratic candidates wins the independent party primary but loses the Democratic party's primary do they still show up on the ballot no that's that's the sore loser law uh, in oregon and many states have this if you uh, are a major are a member of a party and you run or participate in their nomination process and you do not win your party's nomination you are not eligible to be on the ballot in the general election so and it's there's a good reason for that uh, say that one of the three Democrats didn't win their ballot, and then in June or July, they go to the Pacific Green Party, and they say, I really want to be on there. Would you nominate me? And they say, yes. Well, that's not fair, and it's probably not right. So if someone were to, if one of the three Democrats were to win our nomination, and they lost their major, their primary, the Democratic primary, we would remove them from the data set, remove them from election, and we could rerun the election results and get a new winner. 
And that's what I anticipate us doing if that were to occur. Well, I want to say thanks to both of you. Rob, you want to plug again how people can participate in an independent party election? Yeah, thanks, Jefferson. Uh, go to indparty, com, and you'll find the link on that home page that'll take you right to the voter page, and you can go in there. Have ready with you. If you still have your ballot, mail-in ballot, you can use that. We have to take a photo, or you can use a photo ID or some other ID, and it'll explain how that works. And uh, you can upload that. You can vote, and that will verify it. We can track it. We can make sure it's a secure, valid vote, and you get to participate. Well, I want to thank both of you, and I suspect we'll be talking after the election to see how this all went. Fantastic. All right. Can't wait to see the results. All right. Thanks to both you, Sarah Wolk and Rob Harris. Sarah Wolk with Star Voting and the Equal Vote Coalition Executive Director Rob Harris, co-chair of the Independent Party. Oregon's first district is from West Portland to the coast down to Yamhill County. Yesterday, the incumbent, Representative Suzanne Bonamici, stopped in to talk with Jefferson Smith about the historic stimulus vote on Friday, the new proxy voting opportunity for the U.S. House, saving the post office and the Space Force. Yeah, they covered a lot. Suzanne Bonamici represents the United States House 1st District, stretches from the west side of Portland to the coast down to the Amhill County. Suzanne Bonamici has been representing that district since 2012, now running for her fifth term in office. Welcome, Representative. Thank you so much, Jefferson. So great to be on your show again, and it was nice to listen to you and your dad. Hi, Joe. Y'all just voted to have online voting. I want to ask about that, but before doing that, you did travel back to Washington D.C. last week. Hmm. What was it like being in an airport? What was it like being in an airport? What was it like being in airplanes? Do airplanes still exist? Tell us about the experience. They did, and I've been back twice. Uh, I went back for the the vote on the additional bill to put more funding into the paycheck prote- uh, the paycheck protection program and make some changes there. Um, and then I, I flew back on just this last Thursday for the votes on Friday and then flew back on Saturday. It is eerie. Um, in the airport, it's it's a, like a ghost town. Of course, wore a mask, used a bucket of hand sanitizer, wiped off all the seats and, and hand, you know, armrests and everything, and tried to be as careful as I could. Um, the planes were fairly empty compared to usual. There's really no nonstop anymore, so had to go, you know, first to another airport, change planes on the way there, on the way back. So it's challenging, um, and I think everyone uh, understands how challenging that is. But also, until we could pass the legislation, which doesn't uh, really, it doesn't allow online voting; it allows proxy voting um, for the first time. So now that we have that, it'll be. Uh, a possibility for those who who choose not to because of health care reasons or who cannot travel. Uh, now that we have passed that legislation, we have an alternative. And, and when I got back last time, I was very careful to just stay in for 14 days and will likely do that as much as possible, being really careful about wearing my mask when I go out um, because we need to do everything we can to contain the, the virus. But uh, it was a we're in a really challenging time, and uh, and and it's it's uh, important to be there to vote until we could change the rules. But uh, tough times. 
So proxy voting, meaning somebody else can cast your ballot for you. Who is eligible to be your proxy? Anybody you say, someone, in, some staff or another member? No, it'll be another member. And obviously, we haven't done this yet, but there are many members who can drive uh, or have easy access. You know, the East Coast members or even the Midwest members can drive there, don't have to fly on planes. So people who choose to be there, of course, the people in the immediate vicinity, each member could be a proxy for another uh, 10 members if necessary. And there's a process where we will have to, it's a temporary solution. Uh, it's not it's not indefinite, but to allow us to get through the pandemic uh, and, and stay safe. So we would pick somebody to be our proxy, and then we would, in writing, give that proxy the particular instructions, and they would be obliged to follow the instructions on Tem- how, to vo- how to vote. Temporary. How to vote. When's the sunset of this thing? As soon as coronavirus passes, or is there a date? There's a date. I think it's. I don't know the exact number of days, um, but there, there's a time. I think it's, it might be 45 days, and then it can be renewed for another 45 days. It's a temporary solution right now to let us do our jobs uh, without risking you know, spreading uh, coronavirus. So, And we will continue to have you know, committee hearings and conduct our oversight, and we are definitely continuing to work. It was just that casting the vote uh, that, that, is the, that was the challenge. Let's talk about re-election. You are running again. You got to run every two years. What's at stake? Every two years. What's at stake in your re-election? Well, what, what's at stake? I've always worked hard as a, uh, not only as a member of Congress, but of course when I was in the, the state legislature to do everything I could to create a better future for the people I've represented. And once I earned a, a position in the U.S. Congress, I worked hard to get on the Education Committee. I'm also, I'm also on the Committee on Science, Space, and Technology. And throughout my time, even in the minority where I spent close to seven years, this is my first term in the majority, I have worked to build relationships and to get things done. So what is at stake? Uh, I want to continue to to work on these education issues, the pandemic has exposed so many inequities in our system, in education, in health care. Uh, I'm working on child care reform. Because if we want our economy to work well, we need to make sure that there's good quality child care. If people are ready to go back to work and they don't have child care, or if the child care centers are open and families can't afford child care, that's not going to work. Um, affordable um, higher education, that is so key to our future and our economy. And I worked my way through first community college, then two years of college, and then three years of law school. Now, people who are doing that right now are struggling. I, it was hard, uh, but it wasn't such a burden because higher education was more affordable then. Um, we need to address the climate crisis. That's what I am uh, so honored to be serving on the select committee on the climate climate crisis, where we are uh, getting ready, we were scheduled to launch our climate action plan in March. Uh, of course, we're waiting for the, the right time to do that. But all of these things to create a better future for the people I represent. Um, and I, I, I do want to mention some of the work I've been doing as the chair of the um, Subcommittee on Civil Rights and Human Services. We passed the Older Americans Act to help uh, seniors and people with disabilities. Um, got that over the finish line and signed into law. 
Um, we're working on um, things like child nutrition. We, we in, in the uh, committee, passed out the Equality Act uh, and passed that through the House and sent that over to the Senate. Uh, the non-discrimination, similar to what we passed here in Oregon back in, in 2008. We need to get that done at the federal level as well. So all of these things that uh, they'll create a better future, uh, that's what I'm fighting for and would be honored uh, to be able to continue working on behalf of the people of Northwest Oregon. You were in the Capitol for the big stimulus vote on Friday. Three trillion yes. bucks. It was a relatively tight vote, 208, 199. Uh, what should we learn from this? What should we take away? Well, it, it's a very important investment in our workers, uh, our families, our healthcare professionals, and importantly, our state and local government. You know, we're we're both former state legislators, Jefferson, and we understand uh, the challenges when state and local revenues uh, drop precipitously, as they have right now. And it's interesting because colleagues are saying, "Well, our state relies on." sales tax and people aren't shopping so we don't have revenue and we can say well people aren't working so we don't have income tax revenue because of course we're dependent on income tax so this bill importantly will help our state and local governments it has an additional direct payment to individuals uh, premium payments for essential workers those people on the front lines uh, more protections for student loan borrowers programs that i I'm fighting for like more investments in child care, low income home energy assistance programs. So these are all important steps, but it's not enough. Um, I don't know if you heard the Fed Chairman Powell talking about the the importance of investing now. Um, I support the $2,000 a month during the pandemic. Uh, wish we could get that over the finish line. Uh, we did include a direct payments to people with an ITIN number. Um, people who are paying taxes but don't have Social Security numbers, that's important. Uh, but we also need to make these investments in things. In, 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 in the HEROES Act was protect the Postal Service, national vote by mail. We are seeing people, you probably saw the people standing in line in Wisconsin to vote during the pandemic. Yeah, and we no talked to the happened. folks who ran the, ran the election there. We did a whole series on it. No one should have to risk their lives to exercise their right to vote. We have it figured out here in Oregon. So all of these things were in the, the HEROES Act. I was proud to vote for it, even though in, it wasn't perfect, but in big pieces of legislation in a divided Congress, to me there was more good uh, than bad, and we'll keep fighting for the things that were not included. You mentioned a few things. I could imagine there being Republican Party disagreement. I don't just imagine it. I've heard it. One, you mentioned the post office and vote by mail. Two, I at least heard Lindsey Graham come out against another round of individual checks. Third, you said state and local governments, and we saw, I think it was like $800 million combined for state and local governments. Uh, did I say billion? I should have said billion. The, uh, and Mitch McConnell has argued against uh, payments for state and local governments. What do you think remains possible with the U.S. Senate what are, you think, some of the puts and takes? What is it you think they want, the Republicans who lead the U.S. Senate? And does this end up being a bill that you just sort of run on to draw a distinction, or are there pieces you think get passed across the finish line? I certainly hope there are pieces that get passed across the finish line because 
we need to make these in, in investments to to help our workers, our families, our you know the individuals who are still struggling, um, and overall our economy. Um, and I you know I heard Senator McConnell say that you know that these local jurisdictions could just go bankrupt. That is not a solution. Um, so I would hope that there would be places where we can work together. Um, one of the pieces of, of legislation that did not get into the HEROES Act that I support is Congresswoman Jayapal's uh, Paycheck Guarantee Act, which is modeled after some of the European approaches, where instead of creating the, the programs through the SBA and then also uh, overloading state unemployment um, programs, uh, we simply provide the paychecks during the pandemic. It's more efficient, it's more effective, uh, and we see that that is working. And some Republicans are talking about that as well, so that is something that we could work on together. Um, you know, our employment systems were not designed for pandemics, and we've seen record numbers of people filing for unemployment. The, the technology used in our employment offices is here in Oregon, for example, is, is antiquated. I think they're trying to bring people out of retirement who still know COBOL to try to help transition the system. Um, we need a, a, a better way to do that. The uh, remind folks, I want to remind folks of the election. You presumably want people to vote no matter who they vote for. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want people to vote no matter who they vote for. Voting is uh, people's right, and it is uh, and it, it's so important to make your voice be heard. We make it easy here in Oregon. Of course, it is too late uh, to mail your ballots, um, and you can drop it off. There are links. Uh, I just put one up on my campaign. Uh, I think we we put it on the perhaps on the campaign Facebook, but you can find a link at the Secretary of State's website to find out where your drop boxes are. We make it very easy here to vote. Your your ballot needs to be received by 8 o'clock tomorrow, the 19th of May. Um, and, you know, Jefferson, I have never taken any election for granted. I would be honored to have uh, the support of the people here in Northwest Oregon. During the, the pandemic, it's really changed how we reach out to people. I like being out into the community and talking with people and, um, holding in-person town halls like I usually do or knocking on doors, which I still really enjoy. We can't do that now. So we're, we're, we're doing our best to, to reach out as, as, as well as we can. But, you know, what, what I've been really focusing on is, is helping people in need. For example, I helped raise money for the food bank, for the Domestic Violence Resource Center, and things that are really going to help people in the community right now. It's so important. And before we end, I just want to take a moment to um, recognize the, the work of our, our, our great colleague, Mitch Greenlick. And Mitch, as people likely know, passed away over the weekend. The flag will be at half-staff today. And Mitch and I go way back to his, his very first um, run for the, for the Oregon legislature. And then I had the honor to serve with him on the House Health Care Committee. And um, he will be greatly missed, uh, not just in in the legislature and not just in the community, but in Oregon and across the country and around the world. He was such a, such a, a legend and an expert in all things healthcare. Representative Suzanne Bonamici, thank you so much for being with us. You are serving, by the way, on the House Committee on Science, Space and Technology. We'd love to have you on after the election to talk about the Space Force and your thoughts therein. But for now, let me just say thank you so I much. I look for- forward to that, Jefferson. 
Thanks to Sarah, Rob, and Suzanne, Representative Bonamici, for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Today's a good day to rate and review the podcast. Five stars, pretty please, plus kind words, plus share them with friends. This is how we will build the show, and this is how we will be able to keep the show going. If you have story ideas, send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm. Talk to you tomorrow. We will have election results for you tomorrow and the remainder of the week. Today is gone. Today was fun. Tomorrow will be another one. And thank you, democracy. X-Ray.